Lord, you have been so good to us. You have turned our mourning into joy. Lord, we pray this morning that you would open us to your word and open your word to us. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you haven't noticed, uh, I'm not Father Joe. Uh, Father Joe is away. Um, He should be back, I'm assuming, next week. Uh, I I think so. Um, My name is Drew, and uh, I... Uh, many of you will know who I am. Some of you may not. I have been here off and on since when we were at the barn uh, in, the, in the first building. And I actually, I was going through my notes. I keep all of my sermons on my, uh, a computer. And I realized that nine years ago, I preached on the same passage here uh, at Holy Trinity. Nine years ago. I was uh, in seminary at the time. It was probably not a very good sermon. Uh, Today, it's probably not going to be much better, uh, but we will see. One of the many jobs I had in Egypt in the last seven years, when I served as the chaplain to the archbishop there, was to guard him. Uh, Not just physically, and it does help to have uh, a black belt in martial arts uh, to help him physically, but to guard his time from interruptions. Uh, He had an office, I worked in his office, and sometimes people wanted to steal his time. They would try to interrupt or go into the office when I wasn't looking. Um, They thought what they had was really important, and sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. Those were always the key words. It's an emergency, or it's really important, but who is it important for? And what is the real emergency? And so I had to, de- I had to determine uh, whether the person would go in and see the bishop. Uh, sometimes he was in a meeting, which I had to interrupt. And I, I never like doing that, really. That's one of the things I-, I-, I struggle with every time. Sometimes I had to interrupt. Sometimes I did not. Sometimes I decided that this was not important enough to interrupt the meeting. Now, today's gospel, we have two stories. Two stories which are independent, yet intertwined. A story of Jairus and his daughter, and the story of the woman in a crowd. Both stories deal with depravity and need. Both also speak of faith and healing. Both are testimonies of faith and action, and the power of Jesus to heal. So I want to set the stage before we look at our text Uh, for this morning. I want to set the stage. What is happening? Where is Jesus? And the story that Mark tells us takes place on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee, which actually isn't really much of a sea at all. It's a large freshwater lake about 13 miles long, 8 miles across, surrounded by high mountains. And Jesus, after spending much of his life in Nazareth, Nazareth, goes to Capernaum and spends a lot of time there. There he meets the two sons of Thunder, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. He meets Peter and Andrew, who are also fishermen there. And Jesus spends a lot of time on this lake. And Mark, our gospeler, gives an account of what happens on that lake on this particular day. And he gives a lot of details. Uh, The message is in the details, I think. Um, He gives it as if he had experienced it himself. Now, we know that he actually 
didn't experience it himself. John Mark was not necessarily one of the twelve. In fact, he wasn't one of the twelve apostles. John Mark spent time with Paul, and he spent a lot of time with Peter in Rome. And so we think that Peter told all of these stories to John Mark, who then wrote them down. So in essence, this is not Peter's, or sorry, this is not Mark's gospel, but it's Peter's gospel. And we know, or maybe we don't know, but there's a connection with Mark, because Peter sent Mark, and Mark brought Christianity to Egypt, where I spent the last seven years. It was interesting how Mark arrives on the sea coast of Alexandria and starts walking into the city, and his sandal breaks. And so he goes to a cobbler to fix the sandal. And the, the man, it, it's not like the machines that you have nowadays, so there are these large needles, and he's trying to fix these leather sandals. And the man named Ananias, he pierces his hand with the needle while trying to fix Mark's sandals. And he shouts out, I can imagine what you would shout out, or what I would shout out if I pierced my hand, something not necessarily appropriate in church. But he shouts out, O oh, one God, or O oh, God. And Mark says, you know what? You're absolutely right. There is only one God. Let me tell you about him. And so this man becomes the first convert to Christianity in Alexandria and later would become the second uh, bishop or patriarch of Alexandria. But this was an eyewitness account. It sounds like an eyewitness account that we have this morning. And it makes it easy for us to understand what is happening because there are so many details If it was not full of these details, we would wonder, did it really happen? It's like when Jesus tells the disciples to throw the net over to the other side, and they pull up a load of fish. How many fish were there? 153. I think that lends credibility, because they counted. They could have just said, oh, it's a large number of fish. But somebody there had to have counted the fish. So all of these details show us this is actually what's happening. This is what's going on. It lends credibility and truth to it. And so Mark is telling us a story this morning. It's a a little unclear as to what or where the story is going at the beginning. It's a little ambiguous. And Mark wants us to kind of figure it out as it goes along. Jesus had crossed over in a boat from the other side, and then he finds himself surrounded by a large group of people. Some were possibly his friends who knew him. Some were his foes, his enemies, who maybe heard of Jesus and didn't like what he was teaching. Maybe some were uh, from the Romans. Maybe some were from the Pharisees. And some were just there, going about their daily life not knowing that Jesus would be in their midst. They were uncertain. Uh, Should they believe in Jesus? Should they not believe in Jesus? So there's a good mixture of people. And there are a lot of people around him and looking for him. They had heard of his fame. And is he that one? Is he this one? They're not sure. There's so many people around. I don't know if you've ever been in a large crowd. You probably have. Probably at, what, an Indians game? Um, or, or Browns back in the day, um, before Art Modell sold them. Um, and there's a large crowd of people, and you're looking for your friend, a 
across the crowd. It's hard to find the person. Or there are so many people. I've had this experience in Egypt when there are so many people around. It's like your feet don't even touch the ground. You're just carried in a direction that the crowd is moving. And so we have this same experience. So many people are there looking for Jesus. Going about their daily duties. And here we have two stories. So all of that is background to what happens. We find ourselves with a tale within a tale. Now Mark does this a lot in his gospel. In theological terms, we call this a narrative sandwich or a Markin sandwich. It's like having a piece of bread on one side, bread on the other, and then the center filling. Uh, I don't know if you like meat or uh, corned beef, um, whatever it is. Maybe you're all vegetarians and you prefer lots of vegetables. That's fine. Um, But the point is, you have the beginning of one story, then we switch to something else, and then we go back to the original story. And so that's what happens in our gospel reading for today. If you were listening to it, you probably know this passage, have heard it many times, but we're going to look at it again. It begins with a desperate father, a respected leader of the synagogue, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his critically ill daughter. This is no laughing matter. This is pretty serious stuff. And then the story all of a sudden is interrupted. Now remember, I don't like interruptions. I don't think you like interruptions. I'm not sure at first that Jesus liked it. We know his disciples didn't like it. But we'll see what happens. So Jesus is interrupted by a woman who has been ill for 12 years with chronic bleeding. In the midst of all of these hands and the people passing by and pressing in and going about their daily business, Jesus feels something. He says, who touched me? And the disciples, I think, started to laugh. You know, Jesus, we're in a crowd, there are lots of people coming by. How can you tell that someone touched you? I mean, of course, everyone is touching you, but this was something different. And whether they laughed out loud or not, I I, I don't think they were taking Jesus seriously. But Jesus heals this woman. Then, as soon as the healing takes place, we go back to the original part of the story. Some mourners come from the home to tell the father that his daughter has died. There's no point in having Jesus come at all. She's dead. And Jesus tells the crowd, she's not dead, she is sleeping. And they also begin to laugh at him. In front of everyone, these people are laughing at Jesus. But they're not the first to laugh at what God is doing. Think back in the Old Testament. There are many examples of people laughing. Think back to Abraham and Sarah. God, I'm too old to have a child. And she has a child, names him what? Isaac, which means laughter. So there are many stories in the Old Testament and in the New about laughing, about the impossibility, the seeming impossibility of what is happening, but yet the possibility through the kingdom of God. What seemed impossible with the human point of view was not impossible with God. And despite of this ridicule, Jesus goes to the home of this little girl. And this is where our story ends. Jesus heals this little girl, Rise, get up. She eats something. And Jesus says, 
don't tell anyone what I've done. And Jesus walks away. At first glance, in many ways, these stories seem unrelated. Until Mark, as almost an afterthought, says, Oh, by the way, the little girl was 12 years old. And suddenly we see this connection. The woman has been sick for 12 years. Jesus addresses her as daughter. Then we see this young little girl, this little daughter, who's 12 years old. Both the woman and the father of this little girl take Jesus seriously. They believe that Jesus can restore their lives. And both kneel before Jesus. Jesus is in the world, and he's there to restore people. Mark, the gospeler, awakens to us the abundant healing, the grace that can be found in Jesus. In Jesus there is hope. And we, when we experience the abundance of God's grace, we can't help but take Jesus seriously. Jesus has a way of transforming our laughter, or our tears, our mourning, as the psalmist said, into joy. Um, Many of you remember what Uh, uh, Bishop Loomis wears all the time. He wears a a white stole with these Chinese characters on it. Do you recall that at all? Maybe not. Um, I I was given the same stole uh, in Malaysia where they're made, and it says, those who uh, sow in tears shall reap in songs of joy. And Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's taking what is broken and fixing it. Not just fixing it, but making it better. And the gospel is full of promises for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them neither be afraid. Today you will be with me in paradise. How about this one? Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus or I will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. These are some of the promises that we find in Scripture. And we realize Jesus isn't actually kidding. We shouldn't laugh at it. Jesus is serious about what he brings, the healing that he brings, the transforming life that he brings. And so we have to look at our stories a little deeper. We hear about a father who would go to any length to try to save his little girl. Others, too, went to great lengths. You can think of the the paralytic man, and his four friends come and take him and remove part of the roof and lower him down to Jesus. They go to great lengths to reach Jesus. And this father, his love compels him to beg, to get down on his knees and beg Jesus. A posture no man in his position, a leader of the community, a leader in the synagogue, an older man would ever do in private, let alone in public. It was embarrassing. But he was willing to be embarrassed to save his daughter. What must have taken him to approach Jesus? Desperation? Maybe he said, well, I've tried everything else. Why not try Jesus? He's the last resort. Next, we have a woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's desperate. And she will also go to any length to find wholeness. 
I use the word wholeness here intentionally because it's not just physical healing that she needed. She needed emotional and spiritual and mental and social and every type of healing that was available. Why? Well, as a woman with a flow of blood for 12 years, she couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't have her sins atoned. She couldn't stand in the temple where you pray to God and you are in the presence of God. She couldn't be around her friends. She couldn't go out socially. She was unclean, a pariah. She was probably also rejected by her family. Oh, there's something wrong with you. In the Middle East, even today, when you have a relative who is not well in any way, you basically leave them at home and they don't go out. Uh, I knew a man in, in Alexandria. He's a priest at one of our churches and he has a brother who's not well. In the seven years that I was there in Egypt, I never saw the brother. I never saw him. The family, I think, was ashamed for whatever reason. And so Jesus comes here to bring wholeness. And we'll come back to that in a moment. One of the common things that they have is that they both go to Jesus. Um, I worked, among other things, for two years I worked in a church called St. Mark's. And it was located in the Nile Delta. Uh, a lot of greenery outside, almost like today. They had two to three growing seasons per year because the weather was very nice. And there was a hospital located next to the church on the same grounds. It was run by the Anglican Church. It was run by us. And I, would, I, I had a Sunday morning service at the cathedral in Cairo. And then I would... Uh, go into the office, do some work with the archbishop. Then I would drive about two or three hours to the Nile Delta. And I'd arrive maybe an hour before the service to get things ready. And sometimes there would be people waiting there for me. They had arrived either in the morning or the afternoon and were waiting to see the priest, to be prayed for. Some of them were Christian. Some of them were not Christian. Um, Muslims believe that the Christian God is a God who heals. And so many days, many Sundays when I would go to church, there would be someone waiting in the church, waiting for me to walk in and pray for the person. Here we have people who are desperate. A father and a woman. Now I want to look a little closer at the story of this desperate woman. In medical terms, she has chronic anemia because of this flow of blood. And it would have been severe enough to compromise her daily activities and it would make it difficult for her to go on long journeys, especially to Jerusalem up the hill and for major festivals. And Jesus, remember, again, I don't like interruptions. I'm not saying you can't interrupt me, but uh, Jesus is on a mission. He's going to someone's house. And this crazy woman is there. And she touches him. Why does Jesus stop and talk to her? I don't know if you ever asked that question as you are reading this passage. Why would Jesus stop and talk to her? Often in the Middle East, men don't talk to women on the street. 
Men will talk to men, women will talk to women. There are even carriages or cars on the metro for women only. Why would a man talk to this woman? And it could be because Jesus knew she needed more than just a touch. She had come to Jesus just for a touch, but Jesus needed to give her more than that. Again, she had a restricted social life. She was unable to join the life of the synagogue and festivals. In the Orthodox churches around the world, uh, a woman who's menstruating cannot come to communion. And we think perhaps even at that same time, it was the same policy. You can't go to the synagogue. You can't be part of the community. And I'm sure that this also caused marital problems for her and her husband. And it's very possible that he had divorced her. We don't know, but there's some speculation there. She's at the end of her rope. She's struggling. And Jesus knows that she needs more than just a simple touch. She's probably ruined herself financially, gone to everyone, gone to all the doctors, gone to all the nurses, tried the different treatments of the day, which included things like this. One was to crush equal parts of crocus, alum, and a certain type of gum into a suspension in wine. Another was to use Persian onions boiled in wine. Uh, Another was to sit at a crossroad with a cup of wine, and the healer would come by and frighten her, and it was supposed to take away the disease. She tried a lot of things, but none of them had worked. Physical healing was not all what she needed. And so Jesus says five things to her. Five very important, simple things, but very meaningful. First of all, he says, daughter. In all of his dealings in the New Testament, this is the only time Jesus has said, daughter, to a woman. Second of all, your faith. What faith did she have? Maybe she didn't have any faith. She was at the end of her rope. She didn't know what to do. But somehow she knew enough to go to Jesus. That was it. She didn't have these great theological concepts in her mind. She couldn't explain things like the Trinity or the Incarnation. She knew enough just to go to Jesus. Simple but great faith. Even at the end of her wits. Then Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. That may not be the best translation, although it is true. It might be better to say, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Because it was not just physical healing that she needed. She became whole once again. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now you may think, ah, go in peace, goodbye, salam alaikum, shalom, is just a simple greeting. I don't think so. I mean, it is a simple greeting, of course, but there's much more to it. Jesus is saying, you can go in peace. Everything is okay. Trust me. 
You have real peace. You're restored to your family, to your society, to your church, or actually synagogue at the time. Go in peace. It's the same, uh, he- it's the same as what we hear every time an angel comes down. Peace be with you. Jesus comes not to bring us fear or anxiety, but to bring us peace. So, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And then he says, be freed from your suffering. Now, Jesus had never met this woman before. How did he know she was suffering? Well, the easy answer is Jesus is God. Okay. But how did Jesus know this person was suffering? This person had suffered a lot. She had gone through 12 years of suffering. And so Jesus acknowledges how bad her life must have been. Someone in pain and trouble doesn't need you to say, oh, that's great. They need to know that their suffering is heard. And this is the reason Jesus is compelled to stop. Jesus is about healing someone in body, mind, in spirit, not only to themselves, to their family, to their community. Jesus is about bringing healing to the person. I want to conclude here just by saying and reminding us that at their point of need, they came to Jesus. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you desperate for healing in body, mind, or spirit? Are you ready for Jesus to acknowledge the suffering that you have gone through and the healing that he can bring? Whether you go to him like Jairus directly and kneel at his feet, or whether you go like this woman around the back Either way, the important thing is that they went to Jesus and Jesus healed them. I want to think that both of them walked away, perhaps using the words that we said from Psalm 30 this morning. O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave or the pit. You have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Therefore my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. They went away rejoicing in knowing that Jesus had healed them. This morning, if you need prayer, uh, after communion, Sarah is going to be praying for people or I'm happy to pray for you after communion there's nothing to be ashamed about everyone needs healing everyone does everyone (laughs) I'm not sure if we realize it all of us need healing Um, whether it's emotional healing physical healing relational healing healing of the mind, healing of past hurts. And we can all come to Jesus. 
whether you come to him today and ask for prayer, whether it's during the week, whether you go to a friend and talk to a friend, whether it's on your bed and you're just crying out to Jesus. He is there and he wants to heal you. And he says, daughter or son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.